Imagine starting a millennial-friendly church in America's holy city. That's just what today's guest, Colin Kerr, has done in Charleston, South Carolina. From philosophical talks on tap with beer, to weekend beach volleyball, to Sunday services with the all-inclusive, full-of-youth congregation, this pastor is anything but traditional. In today's episode, we will talk Christianity for the curious, confused, and skeptical. This is Threads of Commonality. I'm Sam Kelly, and this is Threads of Commonality, where we lift the veil on the world issues that unite us like a thread weaving us together, keeping the conversations going that are vital to the health of our planet, animals, and our collective well-being. Meet everyday people making a difference in their communities. Learn about what unites us and discover ways to change the world. Together, we are powerful. Real conversations with real people. Welcome, everybody. This is Sam Kelly, and my guest for this episode is Colin Kerr. Colin is the founding pastor of Parkside Church, He previously spent eight years assisting historic congregations with church renewal strategies, planting a new multi-campus college ministry at College of Charleston and the Citadel, and received the Baird Prize for Preaching at Seminary. Colin has a passion for beach volleyball, craft beer, and consensus-oriented dialogue, usually over craft beer. His most recent book, Faith, Hope, Love, The Essentials of Christianity for the Curious, Confused, and Skeptical, is available in hardcover and ebook. Welcome to Threads of Commonality, Colin. Hey, Sam. Good to be here. Yes, it's good to see you again. So as a guest, you and I have already met, and I kind of want to, in the beginning, talk about our background and how we met. So the funny thing is, you were the first person I met when I moved to Charleston. And and I'll never forget, um, I was there with a friend from college and I had just moved there. And we went to a restaurant to eat and you were at the bar and your then girlfriend was um, a bartender and you were waiting for her to get off work. And we had a conversation about, uh, we just started talking because you're very personable. And um, we started talking about volleyball. I think we were like the only like three people in the bar too. (laughs) Yeah, you and then my my friend from college and and myself. Yeah. And we just started talking about volleyball and uh, you invited me to the Windjammer and the rest is history. And and I really am grateful for that because that's, you helped me get connected with with the volleyball scene and that's a huge part of my life and um, meeting people. So I want to talk, today's topic is faith and kind of re-imaging Christianity, if you will. And I'm going to let you use the terms you want because this is your your thing. But um, I wanted to have you on the show because what you do fascinates me. And I have to admit, when um, when I first met you and, and I knew that volleyball side of you and the the kind of personal side of you, I, I you were the last person I would have thought was was a member of leading a church or clergy, <laughs> not, not in a bad way, but you're, you don't fit my, in my mind, my stereotypical image of a pastor. I mean, you've got tattoos, you drink beer, you play volleyball, you surf, you're, you have funky hair, you know, you're, you're it's, young. It's dad hair now though. Now being a dad, it's, it's gone down significantly <laughs> in like height and volume. Yeah. 
So um, I guess tell me about how you became um, your role as, and your title as pastor, right? Yeah, pastor, reverend, something, Colin, that guy. (laughs) Reverend, pastor, Colin, tell me about your journey on on how you came to be a a pastor. Okay, I'm going to give you the the fastest cliff notes version I can. So I... Uh, became a follower of Jesus when I was 13. My first girlfriend took me to her youth group. Flirt and Convert actually worked in this manner. Um, but I, I left uh, church and college because I had some negative experiences with organized religion. And I was like, I'm over this. Um, I, I, I kept my kind of Christian veneer, uh, but I wasn't in a community of people. I just kind of did my own thing. I was like, as long as I'm not as bad as that frat boy over there, I guess I'm doing all right. Um, and so I kind of did that, what, what in the Christian world is sometimes called the wilderness. And I came back uh, to Christian community post-college, mostly out of desperation and boredom, like living in my parents' basement, and found a really, really healthy Christian community that um, it answered a lot of my skepticism and showed me the, the beauty of community lived out. Uh, that is centered around the way of Jesus. And I finally was like, oh, this is this is something I've been missing out on. And so I looked up an old youth pastor that I didn't even like, but he was like the only pastor guy I knew. And I said, hey man, I'm like back in church and I wanna like really live this out. Um, would, would you meet with me? And so he started taking me out to lunch like every couple of weeks and just investing in my life and talking with me. And after a while, he's like, I think you should be a youth pastor. And I'm like, bro, I haven't been in church. like." four years. I have no recommendations. Like that doesn't seem like a good idea. He's like, I, I think you'd be good at it. Like I, I had a background in uh, philosophy. I had done um, some teaching programs and so he really encouraged me to try. And I applied to probably about a hundred churches, no joke over a series of like three months. Most people wouldn't even call me back. In fact, one church just called to say, we're not going to hire you, but your resume was so crazy. We just wanted to talk to you uh, just to meet you. They were I was nice with them. Um, and I ended <laughs> right. up, long story short, working at this 200-year-old Presbyterian church in downtown Charleston. Um, I wasn't Presbyterian. I didn't even know what Presbyterian was. Uh, so God bless them for being open to me. I was like, I like Jesus. And they're like, that's good enough. Um, but it, it, it was such a great place for me to land because in the Presbyterian tradition, I discovered they're very open-minded. They're very safe with questions and doubt. And I was someone who was still processing a lot of questions and doubt. And so it, it allowed me to heal, grow, and learn. And miracle of miracles, I didn't get fired from that church, which I should have probably at least a half dozen times. And yes, I feel the same way about teaching. <laughs> but you know, I push the limit all fired, the time. Yeah. You're, you're probably doing something right, though, if you're almost getting fired. If you're not almost getting fired, you're not doing enough. Yeah. Um, so, um, (laughs) but as it turned out, really the reason I couldn't get fired is because, um, a lot of young adults started coming. I was terrible at youth ministry, uh, families couldn't stand me. Most of them, like I was, I was bad at it. Um, (laughs) but like young professionals started coming. I literally like the first young professionals that ever came to the church. I was out in a bar on a Saturday and I just want to make friends. And I was just talking to people. I'm like, Hey, do you want to come to church with me tomorrow? Like there's no young people there, but like, I'll be there. And they're like, ah, sure, why not? Um, and that's how we got our like first two young people. Um, and so from that- From a bar. From a bar, yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, made, that's where I want to be. Uh, right. Yeah, so 
uh, I, I discovered that I had like a, I guess a gift or just like a, a passion for it. I think it's okay to call it a gift. Is it a gift? Okay. Yes. Um, yeah. And so I just, and I, I think it was because for so long, like I felt this, this, this compartmentalization between church community and real life that I really wanted to merge the two, that there was some consistency in that. And so, yeah, like who I spent my Saturday nights with, I wanted to spend my Sunday mornings with. And so that just seemed like a natural thing for me. And I did that uh, for a number of years and worked in that church community. And at some point they're like, you are, you're, you suck at youth ministry, but you're really great with young adults. Um, and so I ended up starting that campus ministry at the College of Charleston and the Citadel, uh, which is two different worlds, but both went way better than anyone expected. And eventually they're like, look, you have like a college church, but you have no formal education and Presbyterians are really big on education. So they said, you need to go to seminary. I went to seminary for four years, learned Greek, Hebrew, took all these really long nine hour exams. Uh, and just a couple years ago, I uh, finally received my ordination in the Presbyterian church. Uh, and then congratulations. Yeah. Oh congratulations. That was a lot of work. Yeah. Five year process. Yep. Yeah. And by that point, all these like college students and young adults were getting older and they had graduated and they're around Charleston and people started joking like, Hey, we should start a church. And I'm like, that's a terrible idea. It's going to be hard and I don't want to do it. But you might've heard the phrase, uh, you make plans and God laughs. Uh, we laughed and then God started making plans. And yeah. out of those conversations, a couple years later, uh, this new church was started and now I'm a pastor of a, brand new church in uh this uh kind of developing gentrifying interesting neighborhood in downtown charleston for those that are still listening i want you to keep listening because this is not your traditional conversation about church and religion and i'm sitting here with colin and and we're talking about this journey with starting a church. So I want to continue that conversation. To be honest, I don't like the word church. When I'm, I'm whenever I say church, it has this negative um, connotation. Yeah, it it's. Uh, I wish we could call it something else because to me, nature is my church. Like when I left the church a long time ago because it. Um, there was a lot of hypocrisy there and I, and I was in a really what I thought was a progressive church. And um, this was in Cincinnati and they had a whole weekend segment on homosexuality and an entire weekend service devoted to talking about homosexuality and that they, um, their main message was that it's okay, but they're not going to marry anyone that they're not going to, uh, perform a, a gay marriage you know they're they're not going to marry two people that are gay mm. and and i'm thinking wait a minute i've been here for a few years i finally got back into a community and going to quote church and now you're going to do this you're going to have a conversation for a whole weekend about this and um my brother's gay and i just i, I don't know i sat there through the service and thinking you know if my brother wants to marry another man he couldn't do that here, even though he loves this person. And, and I had a hard time with that. And so I left, I left that church and that was years ago. That was over 10 years ago. And I, I haven't been back. Um, like I said, nature is my church. I go outside and I have my church. Um, 
So I don't know. I don't know if you have another word for it or if you want to tell me what you're doing with Parkside and maybe you're trying to uh, change the narrative and the image of church. Talk about that. Yeah, I know. Church and Christian, those two words are very uh, loaded for a lot of people. And every now and then there's there are folks in our community. They're like, do I have to call myself a Christian? (laughs) Like, I believe this stuff. I'm about this stuff. But do I have to use that word? And it always creates an interesting conversation because like what, why do we use certain words? What's the power of language? What are we trying to do with language? Sometimes it's trying to, you know, uh, speak someone else's language in order to make a concept more accessible. Uh, Other times it's about actually laying claim to certain words that are, have been disparaged or negative in an effort to reform that word, right? I think about uh, like, just as you were referencing with LGBTQ folks, queer, right? Queer Mm -hmm. wasn't was a was a, a pejorative and now many folks who are lgbtq refer to themselves as queer as a way to reclaim the word so it yeah i think there's a lot of words like that but it, very much within uh religious communities about like the language we use um and they always create some good conversation uh with parkside and i, I think you kind of apl- implied it is one of the things or one of the number of things that when we start it we really wanted just to have like a clear baseline of what we were about. And so that was like, hey, LGBTQ folks are unconditionally welcomed. Uh, and people are like, well, what does that mean? I'm like, well, we just treat them the same as straight cisgender folks. Yeah, <laughs> It's simple as that. I like that, um, unconditionally welcomed. There's no, we love you, but, you know. No asterisk. But yeah, right? there's nothing after that. And that is, that's the, when I think of Jesus and and love i mean god is love right so that's how it should be yeah unconditionally so go ahead yeah and and, and which you know surprisingly when you put it in that language even for people who don't necessarily who are coming more conservative traditions and maybe have some questions about homosexuality or they were raised to have some reservations about that when you begin to put in the language of like let's just treat everyone the same treat everyone with love uh, treat everyone as equals in the community, even people who are still maybe not necessarily on board with uh, like a, a robust LGBT inclusive theology can go, oh yeah, that I can be okay with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you create this safe space, not only for queer folks to, to exist and worship and flourish, but also for folks who are coming out of kind of conservative Christian communities and are deconstructing, you're giving them a safe place to ask questions. And I'm a big believer in contact theory. So they're actually seeing uh, gay and lesbian couples uh, in the church and going, oh, this is, this isn't bad. This is, this is normal. This is great. This is beautiful. Mm -hmm. And so what you see is this wonderful conversion uh, of people who are coming from more conservative backgrounds into a more uh, inclusive, accepting, uh, but still, I would say robustly Christian uh, viewpoint. And I and one of the things that we like about Parkside is we are really committed to having inclusion go not just to the people we like, but to the people we may dislike or disagree with. Uh, and that challenge of radical inclusion is is not just oh let's get all the progressive people in one room. It's like man, let's get the like, what does it mean to say, like, we have Trump supporters in our community or people who are very theologically conservative uh, or people who have <clears throat> never seen a woman preach in their life? 
uh, how, can, how can those people feel equally included and welcomed and embraced? Uh, because we believe that's like where change really happens. Yeah, I agree. I love that. I love the phrase radical inclusion too, because what you're trying to create there, and I don't, I'm sorry to say the word trying to, you're doing it. Um, what you're creating there is I think the answer to what's going on in society. Um, you call it the contact theory. Uh, I'm not totally familiar with that, but I think I get it from the, from your example. And isn't that the answer to what's going on in the world today, especially in the United States? I mean, we have so much separation that people seem to only understand the community that they're living in. And if all you ever uh, hear, see, come across are people like you, then everyone else is the other. And that is where we have all these problems in this division stemming from, and it's fear, it's misunderstanding. And, and then there's the lack of, uh, not lack of, but abundance of information. Uh, my teacher friend and I talked about this the other day. There's this abundance of information everywhere on social media. I mean, we have an information overload and people mm -hmm. today don't have the skills to decipher what's, what's real and what's not real. And, um, everything becomes political. And I think we, we have more in common than, than we think. That's partly why I called the show Threads of Commonality, because I myself am guilty of that, of um, you know the falling into the division. It's so hard to resist because these topics we're talking about, you can be so passionate about them. It's not like a disagreement on you know, what your favorite color is or you know what's your favorite mm -hmm. song? Well, I don't like that. That's not the level we're talking about here. We're talking about, like you said earlier, equality and, and people's livelihoods and people's ability to express who they are as human beings. And there's the other, the whole other, you know, animal element as well. You know, I'm vegan. So that's a huge part of conversations that I have um, mm -hmm. in general. Um, so I love the fact that at Parkside, you, you talk about radical inclusion and I, I'm sure that's hard because I know that's hard for me. Um, but I, but I agree with you that the more we have people expand their circles of influence, and to me, a circle of influence is not just who I influence. It's also what, who and what influences me. Absolutely. So yeah. It's like all these circles overlapping, you know, with, with you in the middle, kind of like a, a major Venn diagram with you know, all these circles coming together. And we influence in our circles of influence, but we also receive influence in our circles of influence. And I think the wider those circles are, the better. And that could be by intentional inclusion, like what you're doing, but that could also be through traveling. Um, I think our, when mm -hmm. we travel and we experience different cultures and meet different people, our circles of influence and are, are automatically going to become larger. So oh, absolutely. Yeah. So what do you, um, what is that like trying to have radical inclusion at Parkside? How's the community receiving it? Because you started a church in America's holy city. <laughs> Charleston is full of yeah. churches, hundreds and hundreds of years of churches. And here you are starting um, this more, uh, I, don't, I don't know what word to use it, progressive and contemporary. <laughs> no one else does Yeah, either. I'm sorry. <laughs> progressive and contemporary come to mind, but you know, those can have negative connotations. So you tell me, what kind of church are you starting or have you started? Well, so, you know, here's the good news about the Holy City is people think, oh, it's because Charleston's holy. It's actually because we were where all the heretics could go. So we were the Holy City for religious freedom. 
And that's where we were getting all people from Europe. So if you were getting persecuted in Europe, you came to Charleston. So like we're living into that legacy of like creating options and diversity for people, uh, which is, oh, go ahead, sorry. Yeah. I was just gonna say, I love that. I didn't know that. Um, that's awesome. So you're, you're in the right place, doing the right yes. thing. And it's all coming <laughs> together and it's awesome. Yes, and so uh, one of the, the uh, kind of ideas right now going around in church planting is that uh, mega churches uh, and churches for just kind of everybody are, are going by the wayside. Uh, you really have to create churches built around niches, really specific visions that do not appeal to everybody, but appeal very well and connect very well to the people that you feel called to. Uh, and, and so our church is really, I, 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 I will probably even say unique in the city of Charleston in that um, we are more progressive, and I'm, we're just going to go with these loaded terms, yeah. more progressive in terms of uh, LGBT inclusion, uh, women's equality, feminism, uh, justice in our communities, Black Lives Mattering, things that people would identify with, with uh uh, more progressive religious communities. But at the same time, um, we would be very viewed as conservative by many other folks in terms of how we approach the Bible, uh, how we talk about sin, how we talk about Jesus. Uh, and so if you came from a very conservative tradition, and we've actually had these folks, it's really fun is because we'll have these more progressive children bring their parents they're like, mom, dad, I've, I've found this church and their parent and they're like, but just, you know, my parents are really conservative. Yeah. And the, and it's really amazing that the parents come and they're, they're a little nervous and they go, Oh, that was a wonderful sermon. That was very biblical. Yeah. Um, because we're using the language of a conservative tradition primarily, and we're robustly engaging in scripture. We're holding up Jesus as, as Lord. And so uh, it's very quote conservative in that sense, even though we come to fairly progressive social outcomes and in interpretations of scripture. And that is just not a very common thing, no. at least in our community. <laughs> um, plus you throw in our music, which I love, which is like taking really ancient, literally like sometimes something that's 1700 years old and we're mashing it up with like a contemporary song. And you, and I I love it. <laughs> yeah, I, I love all of that. And, and I, it seems like the perfect blend um, just in my mind, I'm, we always relate to what we know. So I keep relating mm -hmm. this back to teaching and in the classroom and I have to do certain things. You know, I've got a curriculum standards that I have to focus on and I, I have to have certain structure and rules and expectations and there's boundaries that I have to work within. But once I'm in my room and I check all those boxes, what we do is awesome. I mean, it's amazing. We, we have a really good time. Learning is real. My kids learn about real world issues. We have these, uh, really powerful conversations. They're writing these, these uh, wonderful pieces, but I fit the structure, you know, and, and that's mm -hmm. what you're doing. You, you've, you're, you're approaching this with the structure and the rules. Uh, maybe that's a bad word, but the, the foundation of what, like you said, more conservative people of faith follow, but the life messages that you're sharing and the applications um, of your services meet that more progressive or uh, crowd, which is great. Yeah. And it's, it's fun, but, and, and in some ways it is like very strategic in how we think about it, but on another sense, another plane, and this is probably similar to your teaching. 
it's just what you're passionate about, right? Like we're not necessarily trying to triangulate like, ah, let's use conservative language to get these progressive outcomes. It's more just like, we just think that this is the way of Jesus. We think this is how the kingdom should look. And this is what we think it means to be faithful to following Jesus. And it just kind of ends up being this way. Uh, but we do try to be intentional uh, in our consistency and our structures and in how we're engaging with people because we, we want to have a coherent vision. Yeah. And thank you for clarifying that. I didn't mean to make it sound like you were checking the boxes because you wanted to portray this image <laughs> and so good. I'm, I'm glad you, you, I, I do do that with one thing though, What's is that? I use a conservative translation of the Bible. It's called the English standard version. And mm. it's considered like the gold standard for reformed conservative Christians. And if they see that translation being used, it's a code switch, right? Uh, to, yeah. to be like, ah, this is a good place. Uh, because if you use the normal version that like liberals use, What's that? they go, uh, 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 we don't trust this place instantly. So What's, that's our one place where we're... <laughs> What's the liberal version of the Bible? Uh, the New Revised Standard Version okay. uh, is, it's a perfectly good translation, but yeah, even different religious cultures have their own particular translation of the Bible uh, that they find safe and reliable. And so that is one place where we actually are... Uh, I, I would say a little calculating because we were so inten intentional about, uh, you know, creating a safe place for people who are maybe deconstructing. Okay, so Colin, you've written a number of books, and and one of them is uh, where you're where you're reaching out to people that are skeptical, right? Skeptical critics, or even curious about and really about Christianity. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Can you talk about your book and um, maybe where it's available also? But what the what what the focus is, and and how you're reaching people that are confused or curious or skeptical about Christianity. Yeah, so it was born out of the experience that I had with college students and young adults, uh, where I had a lot of, uh, particularly students that were coming from smaller towns, like rural communities, maybe were only raised in a particular religious tradition their entire young life. And then they get to college and they bump into all these different views and religious beliefs and philosophies. And they kind of have this like WTF moment where they're like, I don't know what I believe. I don't even know like, what I was taught to believe, was that even accurate? What is even a Christian? If I believe in evolution, am I no longer a Christian? And, and so there was all these questions that they had that didn't have uh, a really like safe place to field them. And it, surprisingly, there's not many books out there that are just like, here is basic Christianity, right? There's like, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of self-help books and a lot of stuff that has, uh, some views that we would say, well, that's not really basic. That's like a particular like denominational bent, uh, particularly ones that were very fundamentalist. And so at some point I just got frustrated looking for a book and said, well, I just need to write it, uh, which is usually how I write all my books is I can't find it. So I just write my own. Uh, and so this book is primarily designed for someone who just says, I want to understand what Christianity is. I don't try to argue uh, Christianity. Like this is why you must believe it. I just want to give a really clear picture. Uh, and one of my philosophies on, on the nature of conversion is I don't, I can never argue anyone to believe in Jesus. It doesn't work. Um, I'm sure. Yes. Same, I don't like that word. 
conversion. Well, I know it's it's a loaded <laughs> word. Yeah, but it is a it, it's a conversion is an interesting word because it is like this idea of like um in a scientific way like this idea of change and 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 shifting and it it there's a lot going on in conversion. But I don't think I just don't think you can argue someone into it. Um, but my view is that I want Christianity to be so beautiful. Uh, in its description and practice, that even if you don't yet believe it is true, you might begin to wish that it was. And so the goal of the book is not to say that this is what you, you must believe, or this is obviously what you should believe, but just for the reader to come away with, hey, this, if this is true, this is a beautiful way to believe, this is a beautiful way to live. Uh, and the, the major theme that runs through the book, uh, in contrast to what you may have heard about Christianity, uh, it's not about rules, it's not about punishment or reward, heaven or hell, uh, it's about this idea of estrangement and reconciliation. Uh, and that the narrative that runs through the Bible, the narrative that runs through the Christian story is this idea that people become estranged from God. People become estranged from one another. This creates injustice. This creates environmental degradation. This creates all these problems. And what God is doing is he's creating this rescue operation into the world to bring reconciliation to from people to God, to people with each other, people to the environment, uh, and bringing this, this beautiful restoration of all things. And when we start to see the Christian story like that, we go, oh, I want to be a part of that. Uh, and so that generally is the theme that I work with throughout the course of the book. And just letting people know, here are the basics. The people that I've spoken to um, are turned off by church because they see it as divisive which is the opposite of what you're talking about. So it seems like your, your battle is to re-image or, or kind of rebrand Christianity for those people that are skeptics and for those people that have been turned off by either the hypocrisy or, or the divisiveness. And uh, do you go into that in, in your book? Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> there's a lot of acknowledgement in the book of just saying these things that you have seen wrong with Christianity, like you're not imagining them. And to really credit the, the, the skeptical reader to say, look, you may have rejected Christianity for the right reasons. Uh, I like that, it, yeah. Yeah, and that like actually, like your rejection of the Christianity as it's been expressed to you is actually more faithful to the way of Jesus than had you actually bought in to the prejudices uh, and the callousness and the divisiveness uh, of a, a certain Western American form of Christianity. Yes, I, I agree completely because, I, you know, I still read the Bible and I'm still a Christian and I still feel that connection. And, you know, whenever I'm reading and meditating or reflecting i think you know the churches today they're not what jesus would want anyway and to me they're not they're not representing christianity and it's it's sad because there is there is a a, a better way and and you talked about um you know in your book you're reading and and all the things that your readers reading is is what christianity could be and i just keep thinking of manifesting this reality you know if if enough people really try to understand what what love is about and and what um is at the foundation of christianity not all the negative stuff that they see today and have for the past 2000 years um if they see what's what's at the root there um that 
you could manifest a different reality and a different, different, um, way to understand the word Christianity that would actually be more in line with, with what Jesus wanted anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and, and hopefully people will, uh, whether, you know, it's great if someone's skeptical and is not a Christian and reads the book and is, is compelled to explore it more. Uh, but I, I think where it's going to land with the most people are just folks that are saying, I might be done with this. I don't know if I want to buy this anymore. They're questioning Christianity for all the right reasons. And they can get a vision of Christianity that is still faithful to historic Orthodox Christianity, but uh, rightly critiques the things that they have also seen wrong in the Western American church. And then gives them this hope that one, you're not alone. And two, that there is an ability to participate with God as God continues to reconcile the world to God's self. Yeah. And people have their own beliefs. Um, you know, there's Buddhism and Hinduism and, and I don't ever want to come across as thinking my way is the only way, you know, that Christianity is the only religion or faith that should be in this world. Cause I don't, I don't believe that. And that can make me a bad Christian. I don't know, but it is who I am. I'm, I'm it, it, to me, if people are trying to be good and they could be atheists, I've, I've met actually some of the most loving, compassionate, gentle people I've ever met that are, that are spreading compassion in the world are atheists. Absolutely. And yeah. And, and I just, I think you are living the Christian faith. You just don't realize it because you're living the Christian faith as Jesus would want it, not the churches of today. So I don't think people need to be Christian to be good people. And I don't think, but I just happen to be Christian because it's, it's the faith and the journey that I'm on and, and, mm. and the, um, the spiritual connection that I have. But I think as long as people are, are living a good life and being kind and spreading love and compassion, then I don't care what religion they follow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in, in our, either in my book or my own personal beliefs, I, I think it's important to distinguish uh, the kingdom of God from the church because uh, the church is in, it's an institution right it is uh and forgive the the patrick phrase man-made right the church is man-made yeah. the kingdom of god is bigger than the church the kingdom of god is what uh christians say the holy spirit is, is doing uh and it is invisible in the sense that we cannot put boundaries upon it in fact there's lots of stories in scripture right where like people get really surprised because they're like ah god is here in this institutional box and then god shows up outside the box and everyone goes what i don't understand what to do here and jesus was constantly pushing people to see that god was outside of their institutional framework and so i think the church has made some significant mistakes in again how they they talk about other religions other faiths other people and as you pointed out th this this uh this is moralism of the 20th century in the worst form for religious people right this uh christianity is here to make you a good person and if you're not a christian you're a bad person and it it, it was one it's it's the church's fault honestly because then suddenly when you're saying, well, you're not our, of our religious background, then you must be a bad person. That's obviously not true. As you, There's wonderful atheists. Uh, and so this is actually, I would say, not even Christianity. If someone is presenting Christianity as 
well, this is here to make you a good person and we're the good people and the other people are the bad people. That's not Christianity. Jesus pushes against that so hard against his own religious establishment of the day. The nature of the Christian faith for those who are wanting to participate in, in it uh, historically has been, how do you relate to Jesus? Um, what do you think about Jesus? And how, how do you understand uh, Jesus as the point of reconciliation between the creator of the universe? Um, and then all those other things flow out of that. But the, the central message of the gospel is uh, it's not about good people. It's about people uh, who are back into relationship with God. So speaking of boundaries, you mentioned church being man-made and trying to compartmentalize this love and compassion. That's all part of God in a box. Christianity. Yeah. yeah. God in a box. Interesting. Okay. So speaking of boundaries, you are, um, and I'm going to mess up. I'm going to say things wrong here. So please correct me. Um, you are going, you are, you're in a, a place that is full of churches, very diverse. Um, and, and where your church is physically located is in a unique spot, isn't it? If I, yeah, it, gentrifying neighborhood, uh, by any definition so 50 50 black white about uh and the church is uh over 100 years old we, we are partnered with a lutheran congregation uh in this really really old church building mm. i, I want to talk about black lives matter um with you and this movement to spread equality and i i had this conversation with my stepdad the other day and and in the interview, I, I verbalized the hypocrisy or the irony that it's two white people sitting there talking about Black Lives Matter. Um, but it, you know, it happens to be that you and I are two white people sitting here again having this conversation. Um, but I don't want to avoid the topic. I, I want to have an open conversation about it. And, but I, I'm going to enter this conversation with you admitting the irony and the hypocrisy that you know, we are representing a white viewpoint. And that, um, you know, at no point in this am, am I ignoring the fact that I have white privilege and I, I fully am aware that I have white privilege. I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to be a better person. Um, and, and I really want to ad address and, and stop the systemic racism that's part of our country. And I, I genuinely want equality for all people. And I do recognize that, um, that black people have this great injustice that we need to fix and i don't know how to do that and i'm trying to resist my white privilege right. type a let me go in and fix everything natural inclination um and and i need to stop that and i'm trying to stop that so i, I want to learn and i want to have a conversation so can you tell me what what your church is doing there in charleston to help support the black lives matter movement um is that something that's been part of your your congregation and how is that going and, and what that what is that conversation like yeah it's been really interesting uh and interesting is a really loaded <laughs> description right <laughs> um but our our participation has ranged from everything from being uh in uh in protests in the city um to uh i've been asked to participate uh, in uh, discussions with uh, the mayor and the mayor's office, along with other young clergy leaders, 
we also had a, a even like a Juneteenth uh, uh, memorial service, uh, which was really organic and beautiful and started by someone in our congregation that really wanted to create a, a space for for confession and lament and repentance from white supremacy uh, and doing it in a, an environment that was uh, it's like seemed appropriate. So uh, there's a lot of small like spaces that we're creating. Um, I, I think our where we've landed, given our 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 niche and like the the kind of the really diverse community, particularly politically and theologically that we have within our community, uh, is going back to this idea, this word you don't like, but I really <laughs> like it, conversion. Uh, mm-hmm. Because I have at this point in my life come convinced that to get folks on board with the cause of racial justice, getting white folks on board with the cause of racial justice is a process of conversion. So just in the same way that I cannot argue anyone into Christianity, I can't guilt anyone into Christianity, I can't shame them. Um, I can't do that for a white person who's really struggling to come on board with Black Lives Mattering. Um, It is a in many ways, psychologically, perhaps even spiritually, the same kind of conversion process. And so that means I have to hold space for a person, even when I disagree with them, to let them ask questions, let them grow curious, to see other people in uh, my life and our community that are engaging in the cause of racial justice and go, hey, that is intriguing. Maybe I'm confused. Maybe I'm interested. Maybe I'm a little angry. But to Again, create those relationships and those contacts so that over time, just like someone who's maybe interested in exploring Christianity, and they'll at one point go, oh my gosh, I need to be a part of this. I need to be uh, giving my life to some degree to this, uh, that those people will eventually have those opportunities to have a similar conversion in their own life. And I think our church is uniquely positioned to create space for that. And so part of that was we did a four-part a sermon series on race, justice, and the gospel. Uh, I really was really focused on using in traditional, classical, reformed, evangelical language, uh, and really kind of trying to create space for folks um, to hear white voices, black voices, uh, and to ask questions, because we always do Q&A in all our gatherings. And so really letting people ask anything and not not being ashamed of it. I like the, the analogy to the conversion, even though I don't like that word. But... Um when you talk about that, when, when you talk about the conversion and, and, and creating a space for people to realize that Black Lives Matter and that movement is something that, that they should be part of, you're talking about white people. And you and I are white having this conversation. And um, I realize as I'm trying to explore my relationships, most of the people I have relationships with are white people. And I'm trying to be raw and honest here um, and recognize that, you know, I have a problem um, and I, I need to, to fix this. And uh, so I'm going to ask you a hard question. Your, your church, is it mostly white? Yeah, it is. Uh, it is a predominantly white congregation, uh, generally reflecting the worship style and tradition. And you being in Charleston know that we have a really rich history of black churches in this city that date Mm -hmm. back even before the civil war. Um, And so some ways Charleston uh, and other cities in the South uh, have developed a unique black culture within the churches that is 
amazing, uh, but also has kind of created a significant shift um, or divergence in terms of worship styles and preaching and et cetera. And so you do see a significant amount of uh, segregation within churches in these regions. Uh, part of that, uh, from just a, a, a mythological perspective, uh, some people have actually said is surprisingly, and it sounds strange, a good thing. And the reason why is there's been a number of studies done that show that when you actually uh, have more uh, mixed congregations, um, it doesn't actually make the white people any more socially aware. It actually kind of gives them this, this sense of like, oh, I, now I don't have to try. Uh, and at the same time, uh, okay. it doesn't actually help the black folks in terms of uh, issues of justice or issues that are uniquely affecting the, the black community in such a way when, when you have a historically black congregation, they can uniquely focus on issues that are pertaining to the black community and really live into them. So realizing that that's a potential dynamic, one of the things that we do, and we're probably always going to be a predominantly white church uh, because our music's just boring. Right. That's the end of the day. And we don't and we don't want to like pretend to do like a bad gospel song to try to like, oh, let's get black folks in there. Uh, so yeah. for the for the people of color in our congregation uh, and the black voices in our congregation, we are want to be intentional about elevating those voices. So not doing tokenism, not just saying, oh, look, we have a couple of black mm. folks in the pews, but saying like if you're a person of color or if you're you're black, because obviously there are more than there's more than just black people. Um that we want you to feel that like you're not just here to be a, a face, but that you are invited fully to participate, not only in the life of the church, but also leadership and to help shape the direction of uh, our church community. And we feel like at this point, that's our way of being faithful and authentic uh, and allows the opportunity for uh, black voices, particularly in Charleston to, to speak to white congregations, uh, which is why, you know, in our, our, our last sermon series, half the preachers uh, were, were black. And then we just thought that was an important thing to do. Where can people buy your book or find your book? And where's Parkside specifically? Maybe give the address for anyone that wants to, to find your church and your website and all that great stuff so people can get connected. So your book and sure, your the shameless plug. Thank you. Yes, of course. <laughs> uh, yeah, if folks are interested in checking out the book, uh, you can get it on Amazon uh, or Barnes and Noble uh faith hope love uh the essentials of christianity for the curious confused and skeptical it's ebook hardcover should have uh paperback coming out later this year this covid year is wild um and yeah i'd love to everyone reads it love to talk to people about it uh and then uh if people are interested in knowing more about the church or just kind of maybe you're hearing this and going like Maybe there's, even if you don't live in Charleston, right? Like, I'd love to help you. If you're in a city and you're like, I want to find a church that's kind of having these kind of values that we've talked about. I love doing church hunting for people. I, okay. I, I, I do it a lot. Um, and so, you, but you can check out our church. It's uh, parksidechs.com, parksidecharleston.com. Uh, and we're at 45 Moultrie Street uh, in downtown Charleston on the peninsula. Uh, but yeah, yeah my, and you go to the website, my email's on there. I'd love to chat with anybody. And of course, you know, we all got Facebooks, so I'm on there as well. You can look for the guy with the collar, you know, you're good. Colin, it's been really great talking to you. And um, I've really enjoyed our conversation and I'd love to do it again. And maybe we can dig into some of the, the issues that we didn't talk about related to 
Christianity, faith, real life, philosophical conversations, Ooh, climate, yeah. animal rights, all that stuff that I think it should be part of the, the conversation. So let's save that for next time. And I really, really appreciate having you on the show. Take care. Thank you, friend. Thanks for listening to this episode where we had the opportunity to hear Colin's story. I hope you found some common threads and enjoyed listening. Please remember to hit the subscribe button, share, and find us on threadsofcommonality.com.